0: Beginning in verse number 1, Paul writes this, "...for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I want to uh, do several Wednesday nights. I've got several subjects that I want to try to cover that uh, are, are trouble issues sometimes, it seems like, uh, in Scripture. Um, there's, there's so much... Uh, Satan is so, so deceitful, isn't he? Uh, There's so much of uh, mistruth that is out there, even by people that uh, are very well accepted, even among Christian circles and uh, those that trust Christ as their Savior. It's amazing to me when I talk to folks sometimes that they'll talk about some teacher or some person that they've listened to and they've heard something, and, um, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. And we've got to be so careful. And the Bible teaches us that uh, we need to really be steadfast in the things that we have learned from Scripture. And uh, the Apostle Paul, as he uh, is dealing here with the church at Colossae, he says in uh, verse number 2, he says that your hearts might be uh, comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches, notice this, of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom had all the, uh, hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says, I want you to be knit together in these things. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to have full assurance of this. And he says in verse number 4, I say this, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And this seems to be prevalent in our society today. Men that will stand in our pulpits, even folks that maybe don't stand in a pulpit, but they have YouTube channels or Facebook pages, and they, they teach what they claim to be the truth of God's Word. And I'll say this, that Satan is very shrewd about this, in that oftentimes he'll use a lot of truth from Scripture, won't he? And then he'll mix in a lie. And um, he'll he'll try to beguile us. He'll try to uh, look look with me in Genesis chapter number three. It's interesting that Paul uh, uses this particular phraseology to the to the church at, Colossia, at Colossae about uh, cautioning them that they that they're not beguiled by men. Look in, in Genesis chapter number three, uh, and we're going to be back in Colossians here in just a second. Genesis chapter number three, and let's look in verse number thirteen. Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent, what? Beguiled me, and I did eat. Alright? So let's, let's see what the serpent did, shall we? Let's look in verse number 1 now. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, If she were to say yes, would he have been quoting a truth that God said? Partially, right? God said they could eat of every tree except the tree that was in the midst of the garden, right? So again, he uses a partial truth. He's trying to ensnare her. Let's use the Bible word they use here. He's trying to beguile her. And he asks her something that is truly something that God said partially. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I'm not going to spend time on her adding to Scripture here, or adding to what God said uh, in verse 3, because I've dealt with that before. What I do want you to see is verse number 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know... But in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's three things Satan does in this passage. Number one, he questions God's Word. He questions God's Word. The second thing he does is when the answer is given by Eve, he contradicts God's Word. He says, you shall not surely die. And then I want you to notice that he makes it appear to Eve that God has been unfair to them. Can I tell you this? That with those three arguments and those three alone, Satan has caused so many throughout history to fall after his lies and after his deceit. And we find as we get to Colossians chapter number three, and Paul is speaking here to the church, and he's uh, in Colossians, and he's saying, uh, "You need to be uh, uh, full of, have full assurance and understanding uh, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God." He says, in this I say, verse number 4, lest any man should beguile you, notice this, with what kind of words? Enticing words, don't, aren't they? These are not words that are abrasive. These are words that cause you to feel warm and fuzzy inside. These are words that make you feel good. And we're living in a day where people are establishing their doctrine on what is socially feeling good. What does society say? And it's appalling to me, it's appalling to me, how many times Christian people, churches, pastors, will change the truth of this book into a lie, and they will use enticing words. Like, for instance, when we preach against the homosexual movement and that which is going on out there, and all the depravity of that group of people... Uh, the uh, the status of the uh, or the statement of the society is well God loves them too. Now let me ask you a question: Is that a true statement? Does God love those that are that are practicing that? Absolutely, but they're not telling the whole truth, are they? While God loves them, He hates and despises and calls what their actions are an abomination, and they use a partial truth, and then they they deny what God has said about their sin. And they start to say, well, we need to, we need to be accepting of them and we need to allow them. God loves them, so we need to love them. And they use a, 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 a partial truth to create an argument. And then they say, and, and by the way, isn't God love and shouldn't we love too the way God loves? Well, yes, we should love the way God loves. But you know the way God loves? The Bible tells us that Jesus ate with the publicans and sinners. A lot of people will quote that verse and say, see there, see there, God was accepting of them. No, no, no. Read the next verse. He talks about the fact that the whole need, have no need of a physician. But those that are, are have the, the sickness, they're in need of being healed. He didn't eat with the publicans and sinners to condone their sin and to show them that He accepted them. He ate with the publicans and sinners because He loved them and wanted to be the healing part of their sin to cause them to keep from going into sin. But we see how Satan uses this in society, doesn't he? And these are, song, these are arguments that appeal to the, to the emotional flesh, isn't it? It's amazing to me how often we move in our, in our, our belief of the truth of God's Word simply because society puts pressure on us. They beguile us with enticing words. Can we not say that the warning that Paul gives to the church at Colossae uh, here is the same warning that you and I ought to be vividly aware of in the day that we live? I would say absolutely. We've got to be so careful of it. So over the next several Wednesday nights, Lord willing, and as we get closer to Christmas, there may be a Christmas message or two thrown in there, but uh, Lord willing, the next several Wednesday nights, there are several topics that I want to make sure that we as a church are well grounded in. And that there is no room for us to be uh, pulled away from what the Bible teaches or, or what we understand to be uh, the truth. Uh, look with me in James chapter number 1. And uh, we're just going to lay a little bit of groundwork here and then we're going to jump into our first one tonight. James chapter number 1. Let's look in verse number 4. <clears throat> James chapter 1 and uh, verse number 4. And I think I got the wrong verse here. Oh, there we go. There we go. I'm sorry. Verse number 5. I'm going back up in verse... uh, Let's start with verse 4. "...but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." Now, this is not dealing with sinless perfection, by the way. This is dealing with our maturity. Alright? That we are perfect and entire. That we have grown in the Christian life and wanting nothing. We're not lacking in that area. Because he deals with verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of what? Or who? Let him ask of who? God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, I think that if we're going to try to make a determination on what is truth and what is man's acceptable truth, we have to go to the source. And the source, of course, is God's Word. It is going to be the answer to these problems. The solution here, look in with me in Hebrews chapter number 3 for a moment. Hebrews chapter number 3. And let's look at what the solution to this these problems are that, that oftentimes are brought about. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 1. The writer of Hebrews says, "...Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our, our, our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that buildeth all things is God. Uh, There needs to be an an idea or a, a mindset of coming to the source of all truth. Even though Moses wrote some great things, Christ was the absolute authority, wasn't He? Interesting that we, we oftentimes drift in our belief of things because we get away from God's Word. We get away from the source. I know we're preaching kind of to the choir tonight on this subject, but it's important that we have this foundation where we know where to go back to. We are to exhort one another. Uh, As we go on, uh, and I didn't read down far enough in Hebrews. Let's look down, because I want you to see a little bit further here. And let me get back to it, because I I went ahead and turned away from it. Let's go ahead and read down a little further, because I want you to see some other things here. But Christ, as a son over his own house, verse number 6, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope unto the end, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I uh, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief and departing from the living God. Who's he speaking here to in verse number 12? He says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, uh, uh, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, what is the solution? The solution is found in verse number 13 of Hebrews 3. He says, "...to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin." I looked up the word exhort in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And uh, the word exhort means to incite by words or advice, to animate or urge by arguments, to do a good deed, or to any laudable conduct or course of action. To advise, to warn, to caution." The writer of Hebrews says we're to do it daily. We're to make sure that when we find error uh, from Scripture, that we deal with it. And we deal with it right away. We don't wait for it to, to continue to grow. And we ought to be exhorting one another daily. Now let's uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to deal uh, with the first topic tonight. And uh, because there are so many of these things that are going on, and it is important. Words matter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first thing I want to deal with is, are there, in this day that we live, are there still apostles and prophets? I'm amazed at how many times in our churches uh, titles are given, or probably given to them by themselves, that I am apostle so-and-so, or I am prophet, prophet or in some cases prophetess, uh, so-and-so. And uh, Lord willing, on one of these Wednesday nights, we'll be dealing with the subject of women preaching. And uh, deal with that subject. That's not a message for tonight. But I do want to look at, are there apostles and prophets? Now, according to, to Paul, there are some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And they are given to us for a specific reason. If that is the case, the question then comes up, are there apostles and are there prophets today? It's very important for us to understand the role of each of these folks. The apostles were those that were chosen directly by God. We're going to look at some of their requirements here in just a moment. And they were for the purpose of preaching the Word of God, but they also were given revelation by God that was previously not known. In fact, revelation uh, is, uh, when we speak of revelation, we're not speaking of. Uh, what He's already revealed to us in Scripture, but new revelation. Something that's not found in God's Word. And so the apostles were given revelation. Obviously, uh, the prophets were given revelation. God gave them revelation. The reason for that is, they did not have a completed Scripture at that time. Until Peter, or until John finished writing in the book of, of Revelation, uh, we did not have a completed revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was done, uh, at the very end of it, John said, that's it, there is no more. Don't add to the pages of it, don't add a word to it, uh, it's done. The revelation is over. So apostles and prophets were given revelation. One of the, the, the purposes of an apostle and a prophet uh, is no longer needed today. We have in our hands the preserved, inspired, inerrant Word of God in its entirety, all of it, is exactly what God intended for us to have in way of revelation. There is no new word of knowledge. I almost got up tonight and said, well, uh, I've had a revelation from the Lord, and I was going to preach on the message, and then I was going to say, now, where did I get the revelation from? I got it from the Bible, because that's where we get the truth that is revealed to our hearts. It is from God's Word. It is not from His voice. It is not from some thought sitting in some quiet, meditative state somewhere. It is strictly given to us from Scripture. That is all the revelation there is. And very important that we know this. And so, uh, let's take a look at uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. And I want us to look at who the apostles were that the Bible tells us about, and how they became apostles. What was it that caused them to be apostles? And uh, then, Lord willing, next Wednesday night, we'll deal with the ones uh, about prophets and uh, And then we will also get into perhaps another another subject. We may do two of them next Wednesday night. But uh, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter number 1 for a moment. Acts chapter number 1. And uh, we're going to see what were some of the requirements for a person to be an apostle. Now, uh, if you have a, a Bible tonight in the top of the book of Acts, there may be a title to the book that says the Acts of the Apostles. I believe that is an incomplete title, perhaps. Uh, Titles of of these books were not necessarily part of what was inspired. Uh, But truly, these are the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because even though the Apostles did some miracles, it was not of their own strength or their own might or their own power. Very important that we understand that. Uh, one of the subjects we'll be dealing with here, Lord willing, in the next several weeks is the issue of uh, laity and clergy and the misconception of that in the day that we live. Uh, Can I tell you this? When it comes to preachers, we don't have some unusual uh, special treatment of us understanding Scripture more so than the common man or any other person. And there is nothing great about us in, other than the fact that we're the ones that God put up in front of the pulpit to, to preach the Word of God. But every Christian that has trusted Christ as their Savior has the same Holy Spirit that can do the same teaching and enlightening of His truth in their hearts as He can with any preacher. Very, very important that we understand that. And we'll deal with that at another time. Let's look in Acts chapter number 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 21. 21. Acts chapter 1, verse number 21. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, which knowest... "...the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry." And, look at this word, apostleship. "...from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Notice this word again, "...apostles." Here in Acts chapter 1, we find that there were certain criteria that when the eleven left apostles now that Judas was dead, when the eleven apostles got together and they said, we need to elect one to fill Judas' place, there were certain criteria that were given. Let's take a look at them, shall we? Uh, first of all, in verse number 21, Wherefore these men which have what? Accompanied with us. How much of the time? All the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now understand this. That while there were twelve apostles, we call them disciples, there there are a lot of people who still followed everywhere Christ went, beyond those twelve. They followed Him everywhere. They were believers. Uh, men uh, uh, that were uh, certainly uh, witness to the same things that the twelve apostles were uh, witness to. And so one of the requirements was that they had to be uh, accompanied with the disciples during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse twenty-two, it says that the time frame given for them to have accompanied with them had to be from the beginning of from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, uh, so that they could also be, and this is the reason given, a witness with them of his resurrection. They had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So three things we've seen so far: they had to the accompany with the disciples. They had to be witness to the Lord's earthly ministry from the time of the baptism of John until his resurrection. Uh, I'm sorry, until his ascension. And then, uh, they had to be a witness of his resurrected body. His physical form. Now those are three that were given, uh, in, uh, Acts chapter number one by the apostles themselves. There is one other one that is understood in this passage that is something that God had to do. And that is found as we get to verse 23. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justus and Matthias, and they, what? Prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two, notice these next three words, Thou hast chosen. Another requirement for an apostle is they had to be selected personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples did not elect Matthias. It was not a democratic vote. It was God's direction on it. They had to be directly chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how the twelve were chosen. Christ went around and He found twelve men specifically. And he called them specifically, one at a time. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Let's look in Mark chapter number three for a moment. Mark chapter number three. We'll see a few other, or another issue, or another instance of some requirements that are given. Mark chapter number three. Jesus is just getting ready to start His earthly ministry. In fact, He's just uh, cast out some unclean spirits. And uh, in, in verse number 12, He says, And He straightly charged them that they should not make Him known. And He goeth up into a mountain, and notice this phrase, And calleth unto Him whom He would. And they came unto Him. And He ordained twelve. Now, we don't know how many of them He called and that came, but we do know that He ordained 12 of them specifically. That they should be with Him, and that He might send them forth to preach. So there are several things that we see here from Mark 3. Number one, they were called by the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, verbally, audibly. By the way, since we don't believe that the Lord speaks audibly anymore in the day that we live, that's going to be a difficult requirement to meet in the day that we live. Notice also that they were ordained, and uh, the word ordained here doesn't mean like like we do in ordination services, but the word ordained here, according to the Webster's 1828, means simply to properly set, to establish in a particular office. Uh, So Christ specifically appoints them or sets them, places them, in a particular role of leadership, in a particular office. Then they had to be with Christ. Notice in verse number 14. And He ordained twelve that they should what? Be with Him. They were supposed to follow Him during His earthly ministry. We saw that again in Acts chapter number 1. And then we also find something here that was not necessarily stated in Acts chapter number 1. And that is in verse number 14 that He might send them what? Forth to preach. They had to preach the truth that God had given to them. So we see some some requirements of apostleship. Now, we don't have apostles today. Uh, We don't have anybody today that has met all of those criteria. And so, we would say there is no apostle today. If you have somebody come to you and say, I'm apostle so-and-so, you can smile at them, you can uh, listen to what they have to say maybe, but rest assured, they are not an apostle. They are not going to have a new revelation from God that is not found in Scripture. You know why so many uh, religious leaders today are claiming to be apostles and prophets? Because they want to claim that they have new revelation. They want to say that God uh, wasn't perfect enough, God wasn't strong enough, God wasn't wise enough to include everything He needed for the ages in this book. They want to say, uh, well, God forgot, or He didn't know that society would be this way. Can I tell you this? That is so arrogant to think that God forgot something and they're the ones that are sent to fix the problem that God messed up on. And so we don't have apostles today. Uh, Now, there's another side issue that comes with apostleship and requirements of it. And this is an issue that uh, I've had some people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't think that the Bible is... Uh, without error, because there are contradictions and there are conflicts uh, according to Scripture. And so one of the questions they'll point to, or one of the uh, facts they'll point to in Scripture is, was the Apostle Paul an apostle based under these criteria? Did he meet these criteria? Well, uh, let's take a look at some things about the Apostle Paul, can we? And let's see what the Bible has to say about it. And uh, let's look in Acts chapter number 9. Again, I don't want you to know what my opinion is about this subject, but there are going to be some people that will question your stand on an inerrant, infallible Word of God because of this particular issue. It's going to be important that you know from Scripture what the Bible has to say about Paul's apostleship. Let's look in uh, Acts chapter number 9 and let's look down to verse number 8. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 8. This is the account of Saul, who later is going to take the name of Paul. In verse number 8, the Bible says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias... And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here. Boy, I love in Scripture when that happens, don't you? God calls a man's name and the first thing He says is, I'm here. Whatever it is, Lord, you you can count on me. That's the kind of attitude they have. I am here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have that kind of spirit every time the Lord speaks to our heart? Every time we find something in Scripture and we see it and it's in contrast to what we're living for us to say, I'm there, Lord, I'll do what that says. For us to have that kind of a spirit. Great spirit. That's not the message, but he says, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen a vision, uh, in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Here we find the Apostle Paul was directly called by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He was directly called by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is chosen by God directly. Uh, He doesn't have a a pulpit committee or a, a, a pastoral council or a clergy council. He is chosen by God. He doesn't have the Apostles taking a democratic vote. Should we make Paul an Apostle or not? he is directly chosen by God and then the reason that he is chosen by God is to bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel so he even though he's known as the apostle to the gentiles he also preached to those that were the Jews also he preached to those that were kings and he was proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look with me in Acts chapter number 22. and Let's see some more evidence here. Whether or not Paul was truly an apostle. Alright. And hang on because the grand finale is really good. Alright. Uh, Acts chapter 22. Let's look in um, verse number 13. Acts chapter 22 and verse number 13. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 12. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath what? Chosen thee. We know that Paul was hand-chosen by God himself. That thou shouldest know his will. We know from this passage that Paul was given the knowledge of God's will directly from God Himself. He heard, notice it says here, that uh, in verse number 14, that thou shouldest, uh, God of, uh, of thy fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know His will and see that just, capital J, one, capital one. Paul saw Him with his own eyes in the resurrected form. And shouldest, notice this phrase, hear the voice of His mouth. He heard audibly from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that a little further here in just a moment, over in the book of Colossians. I'm sorry, in the book of Galatians. Uh, Let's look also in verse number 15. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. So we find in this case that Paul uh, has seen Jesus in his risen form. By the way, when you read the account in Acts chapter 9. Those that were with him heard the voice, but they did not see Christ. Only the Apostle Paul saw him. He sees Christ. Uh, he is called directly by God. He has heard God's voice uh, specifically and, uh, and uh, knows the will of God. God's expressed His will to Paul directly. Well, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I wish that was still happening today where God would audibly speak to us and say, Greg, this is my will for you. But the truth is, Peter said it this way, we have a more sure word, don't we? We have the Bible itself. And that tells us His will. I I hear people all the time say, boy, I just wish I knew God's will for my life. And I know what they mean by that. But the truth is, we have His will. He gave us His will. It's in this book. Everything you need to know about God's will is right here. What we often mean when we say that is, I I want to know what God's plan is for the next day and what are the circumstances and what is the path that He's got before me. That's really what we mean by that. But we know God's will. The problem is, we have a problem following it, don't we? We have a hard time going along with it. So anyway, we know those things. Now look in Galatians chapter number 1. Galatians chapter number 1. And let's see some uh, some other things. And we're kind of bringing it in for a landing here. Galatians chapter number 1. Yeah, if I can get there. And uh, let's start reading in verse number 1. Paul, what are the next two words? An apostle. If there was no other evidence of Paul being an apostle, the very fact that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, Paul, an apostle, validates his apostleship. That's the only reason we really need. Because the Bible tells us that, the, that holy men of God did not speak based on what they thought of things. But it says that holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. This is not the, the, the opinion of the author. This is the inspired truth from the Holy Spirit of God, calling Paul an apostle. If God calls Paul an apostle, who am I to argue with him? Who am I to say he is not? Paul an apostle. And by the way, isn't it wonderful when God repeats something in Scripture just because He knows that our human minds think, well, that was just one time, maybe it was a mistake, maybe it was a glitch. And there will be people out there that will. They'll doubt the Bible because of this. Do you know how many times Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was allowed to write Paul an apostle? Or Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ? I've got down here Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse verse number 1. Can I tell you this? That the Holy Spirit of God, if He inspired every word of our Scripture, He sure went out of His way to make sure we understood Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle. I've had men come to me and say, well, Paul was not an apostle. Nobody called him an apostle. The only person that called him an apostle was himself. And that's proof that he was not an apostle. Can I tell you this? That's that's only you guessing that God's Word is not accurate when you make that argument. And we know that not to be true. We know that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, and without error. If it tells me that Paul was an apostle, then Paul was an apostle. Let's look on down in Galatians chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man." That excludes him from being the person that gave himself the title. That excludes the other apostles from democratically voting and saying, we think Paul ought to be an, an apostle. Notice how he became an apostle. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by what? Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. That's how He became an apostle. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. That's interesting. Paul knows the will of God, doesn't he? How does he know this? Because God revealed it to him Personally, God revealed it to him audibly. Notice what he goes on to say here. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul said, listen, I'm not out here to please men. He said, there's only one one person I'm concerned with pleasing with my life. He said, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God Himself. Verse number 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Okay, let's let's refer back to verse number two and verse number one. I'm sorry, that his apostleship was not by man; it was of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice this also as we get to verse number eleven. He says, "I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I notice that this is an interesting verse. For I." Neither received it of man, neither was I, notice this, neither was I taught it. How did Paul know to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't go to the college of the apostles and sit in four years of Bible college under them and learn it. In fact, he tells us quite clearly here in verse number 12 that the message he preaches was not learned from men. There's a very interesting statement that he makes here in verse number 12 that I think is very, very critical to understanding this matter. He says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Ananias, when he told Paul, he said, You're called of God. He said that you can know His will and that you can hear His voice. You know the college that Paul went to—the College of Jesus Christ. Christ personally taught him the message to preach. By the way, what did Paul? Or who, who taught the twelve disciples the message to preach? The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul meets the criteria of apostleship in every way. We can use that, and I think God gives us so many evidences of this throughout Scripture so that we can our our flesh nature that craves to, to have proof of things will have it. But the truth is, Paul's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ simply because he said he was, and that was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write those things. Apostles, do we have them today? He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers don't have apostles today. We don't have men that meet this criteria. We have men that claim they meet this criteria, but they do not. They go contrary to Scripture. They either violate the principle that John taught in Revelation that they're not to add to or take away from the words of this book, or they come out and they say, God gave me permission to teach you something that is extra-biblical. Either one of those things God says, let them be accursed. I've never yet met an apostle or heard of an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ that was cursed from God Himself. This doesn't happen. Lord willing, we'll deal with the subject of prophets next week. I'll tell you what we do have left, if it will help you. We do still have evangelists. Amen? And we still have pastors. And we still have teachers. No more apostles. No more prophets. No need for them. And God does not have them anymore ephesians chapter two verse number 20 I want us to look uh, one more time at one last verse ephesians chapter number two and verse number 20 if I can get over to the right book here I was in Galatians all right ephesians chapter two verse number 20 um uh, Let's back up, verse number nineteen, so we know what he's talking about here. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the notice this household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets; Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together we inhabitation of God through the Spirit. We find that he's dealing here with the subject of the local church and that the early churches were established by the foundation that the apostles and the prophets provided. Once the foundation was established, and of course Christ being the chief cornerstone of that foundation, He is the one that they used to establish this. Once that foundation was established, we continue to build on it. Not with apostles and prophets. They were the ones used for the foundation, the founding work of it. But now we've built on it with evangelists and pastors and teachers. I hope that will help us. Alright? Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. It's instruction to us. May we learn from it. May it keep us from error. Lord, may it help us to be ready to give a defense of Your Word. To be able to answer those that would criticize attack, ridicule, slander our Bible and the fact that you are...